Well, I'm obviously not uh, Brother Ben, so uh, <laughs> if you're visiting today or have no idea who I am, I'm Steve Fight, uh, father of Brian there, one of the elders here at Redemption Church at Ashland Avenue, and I'm, I feel really privileged to get to speak to you this morning and uh, look at God's Word concerning uh, the fruit of the Spirit. So... Let's look in Galatians chapter 5 this morning. We'll be mostly in Galatians chapter 5, all through the book of Galatians, I really should say, as we get into the Word of God this morning. Starting with verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time here before I get into the message this morning. Father, I'm so thankful for your word, and I'm thankful that you've given us the Holy Spirit. Father, teach us as we are in this series about the Holy Spirit, who he is, what he does in our hearts and lives, and make us mindful of his presence in us and his effect on our lives, that we may walk the way you would have us walk, uh, I pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. So we're in a series about the Holy Spirit, a short series, just through the end of July. And uh, last week, you know, Brother Ben spoke to us about our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Uh, that relationship is permanent, personal, positive, and powerful in our lives. It begins when we gets saved, and uh, works in our hearts all throughout our lives. And uh, perhaps we don't spend enough time actually thinking about the important work of the Holy Spirit in us. Um, I'm going to give you a quick list of 11 things that uh, sort of itemize some of the things the Holy Spirit does in our lives. You know, number one, he's, He is part of the saving process. And in Titus chapter 3, we are told He saved us not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is part of the salvation process in us. Number two, He teaches and reminds us. In John chapter 14, Jesus told His followers, The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, will teach you all things, and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Thirdly, he convicts us of sin. In John 16, uh, Jesus reminds his followers when he comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Fourthly, he dwells in us and fills us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we are reminded, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst. Fifthly, He's the source of revelation and wisdom. 
1 Corinthians chapter 2, there it is written, No one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. Uh, the sixth thing, He empowers us. In Ephesians chapter 1, it is written, And His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength He exerted when He raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms. Number seven, He guides us in truth. In John 16, it is written, But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. The eighth thing, He gives us spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. He equips us to do ministry in the church, to be part of the body of Christ. The ninth thing, He seals the believer. In Ephesians chapter 1, it is written, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. Amen? We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. The tenth thing, He helps us in our weakness and intercedes for us in Romans chapter 8. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And then that brings us to the main topic of the day. He sanctifies us and He grows spiritual fruit in our lives. And that's what we read about in Galatians chapter 5. So that's not an exhaustive list. But that's a lot of the things that the Holy Spirit does in you when you accept Jesus Christ as Savior. So His work is vital. And Jesus told His, his disciples, Look, it is good for me to leave your presence because then the Holy Spirit will come and do this ministry in your lives as believers. Well, I love summertime. Don't you? I mean, one of my favorite things about summertime, one of my favorite memories is growing up. Sorry here. Is growing up in a rather rural area, and this time of year is blackberry picking season. How many of you have any good memories of blackberry picking? All right, all right there's a few of you out there. So, you know, I grew up, I grew up in a rural area. Uh, Milford, Ohio, which is up in Claremont County, about 30 miles away from here. In my family, we didn't live on a farm, but we lived in a house that was kind of in a community of farms. There were farms all around us. And I was always fascinated with the goings-on uh, on, the, on the farms around us. We had the Bashams uh, right next door and behind our house, kind of farm wrapped around it in an L. And uh, our fence separating our property uh, was actually covered with grapevines. And I learned quickly as a, as a young boy, uh, picking the grapes when they're green is nasty, and picking them when they're purple is delicious. 
And so that was great. In the Bashams, they had uh, rows of strawberries all over their farm, right behind our fence. And as a kid, I'd love to go back there and to wander amongst the strawberry rows, and I'd help myself to the Basham's crop. Love strawberries, love eating those things. It was delicious. And uh, across the street, uh, I had old Mr. Honchel. Mr. Honchel had a farm uh, all around his house, a small, maybe I should call it a garden. I mean, I was pretty young. But I was fascinated with that place. I'd walk there, and he had these towering sunflowers. I loved to walk amongst those things. And he had, he had uh, gardens full of squash and of watermelons, and those things were going around. And me being a little kid, loved to go grab the big watermelons and try and pick them up. Annoyed Mr. Honchel, but he still tolerated my presence. And then when I came to the, the blackberries, you know, they were, they were all over the place along all the fence rows. And we would go out with our, our buckets and pick, pick them uh, without supervision back then, really, because if you grew up like me, you had a radius of miles you could kind of go around in and not be too worried about things. But we'd pick the fruit and take it home. And mom might make blackberry cobbler or we might sprinkle a little sugar on it and just pig out. And down the street from, from my house, we had the Rousters. And the Rousters had a big apple orchard. And uh, whenever uh, we would go by there, we would see row after row of these well-tended trees uh, full of apples in season. It was fascinating. They even had their own little store uh, that was full of its own wonders, all the things you could make from apples, apple cider, apple popsicles. They'd cut up all different kinds of apples and just put them on the counter so you could figure out what different types of apples taste like. It was fascinating. And I, and I, love, uh, I love to eat fruit, even now, which shows on me uh, sometimes. But, uh, you know, plants make fruit because it's their nature. Healthy plants growing under the right conditions produce fruit. That's the nature of the plant to produce it. If there's no fruit, then there's a problem. If you are an apple tree, supposedly, and you're not producing apples, then you either have some substantial health problem as a tree, or you're really not an apple tree. So when we think about the fruit of the Spirit, which is uh, the topic of our sermon today. The fruit of the Spirit is evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If we show the fruit of the Spirit, if we show the fruit of the Spirit, these characteristics show up in our growth. It's a measure of our spiritual health. A spiritually healthy life produces spiritual fruit. If we're missing components of the fruit of the Spirit, then that's an indicator of some grave concern to each of us. So I hope today to help make us each conscious of the work on our Holy Spirit, of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as believers. Now the book of Galatians, where we find our main text. There's a particular problem, a main problem, addressed by Paul uh, throughout this letter. You know, a, 
A church is a great intermingling of people. I mean, you look around today, you could see, obviously, we have people of different backgrounds, different races. We were born in different places. Some of us talk a little differently because we were uh, where we grew up or, or um, being exposed to uh, different languages in our household. So it's a great in- intermingling of people. And the Galatians were no different than this. The Galatian church was a church full of formerly uh, pagan Gentiles and Jewish Christians as well. So what the Jewish Christians, some of them anyway, were attempting to do was to convince the formerly pagan Galatian Gentiles that they needed to embrace parts of the Jewish law in order to justify themselves before God, to keep parts of the law. And Paul wrote this letter to address that, telling them, look, you are justified by faith. You are not justified by works of the law. Embrace faith, reject the law. You know, this is a, this is a problem we see uh, even as we attempt evangelism in our culture still. Uh, it's because just grasping and embracing the idea of grace is, is not an easy concept for a lot of people. But the Scriptures tell us it's by grace you are saved, by faith it's not of works. Because if you were saved by works, then you could stand before God. You could say, look, this is, this is what I've done, I've done, and I deserve your favor. And that is not the way God has set things up for us. The, God's economy of grace brings Him glory because you are saved because He wants to save you, not because He owes you anything. And thus, the, the argument for Paul. Paul was trying to convince the Galatians to reject a religion of the flesh and embrace salvation by grace through faith and the resulting life by the Spirit that it brings. So if we look at the beginning of Galatians chapter 3, Paul writes to the Galatians, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly protected portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again I ask, Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by you believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. God has always worked with an economy of grace. God saves us by grace. And that is always the way God has operated. It is because of our belief. It is because of our faith. It is because of our embracing God's word, recognizing uh, who he is. When we think of Jesus Christ, recognizing Jesus Christ, who he is, the Son of God who came, died, paid the price for our sins on the cross, showed his power over life and death by being raised again. Our our embracing of that, our, our trusting in that, is what brings salvation. 
Now, what, what Satan loves to do to the church is confuse us on things. And that hinders our growth. And that hinders our work. If Satan's a liar. Jesus, Jesus told us that. Satan is a liar. He loves to confuse you. You ever wonder why we have so many denominations? I mean, do a little study on the background of different denominations and see how they came into existence. Most of the time, it was, it was an argument of some, over, some uh, relatively minor point of doctrine. Or someone just getting confused about what the gospel actually says. So Satan has always worked in churches to try and mess things up, to try and mess up our work. He lies to us and tells us something that is not true to take us away from uh, the mission that God has given us as churches and also to confuse people about their own faith. Now the Galatians, they were fighting a battle that it's common for all believers. It's common, it's common for us now. It is the battle between the flesh versus the spirit. The flesh versus the spirit. So, in spiritual terms, the flesh is that, uh, is that that desires to drive us away from God's will. Okay? The, flesh, the, the flesh is a problem for all of us. It's innate. You are made of flesh. And since you are made of flesh, your flesh has desires. Many of these desires are just fun. You're going to get hungry. You're going to get cold. Okay? You're, going to get, you're going to get frustrated and angry. All those things are innate to you as a human being. You can't fix it. It's your natural state. Your flesh is the reason you get tempted. And this is not something that you can just um, take out of your life altogether. Okay? We're always going to be tempted because we are creatures made of flesh. And that is innate in us. When people are left to their own devices, and they are totally controlled by the flesh. You know, it shouldn't surprise us as believers when the world acts lost. I mean, that's the natural state of mankind. So lost people act lost. You know, this is one of the reasons that we don't have to teach our kids to lie to us. If you had children, or you have grandchildren now, um, did you notice that? You did not have to teach your children how to lie. And they didn't learn it by observation. It's innate, because they are creatures of the flesh. I've got six wonderful grandchildren right now. Hopefully they're working on more. Okay. You see a couple of them running around here on Sundays a lot, uh, little Emma and little Colton, and they are, they are absolutely delightful. But you know what? They are fleshly creatures, both of them. And as delightful as they are, uh, no one had to teach them how to lie. In fact, just uh, a couple of days ago, we had Emma and Colton at our house, and uh, Emma was sitting up at the island in the kitchen, and she had a, 
she had one of these, um, they, what are they called, highlight magazines, they're kids' magazines, right? And they, they especially like the, the pictures where you find other things in the pictures. You've got a scene, and there's somewhere in there there's a pen or a pencil in a bucket. And she's, she's diligently working on that to try and find these little things. And Colton climbs up beside her. Uh, she was sitting on a stool. He climbed up beside her, kind of leaned over the top of her. Can I help find some things too? And then Emma, as delightful and sweet as she is, came across with a, a left-handed overhand hook against Colton's face, <clears throat> smacked him upside the head, knocked him to the floor. He stubbed his toes, hurt himself, started crying, looked up at Grandma, of course, for comfort. And uh, I said, Emma, why did you do that? And, of course, she said to me, I didn't mean to. I'm like, Emma, I just watched you. You just like smacked him upside the head with your left hand and he fell to the floor. You didn't have to teach her to do that. It's a natural thing. Try and lie to get out of things. And Colton is, you know, he's no different. All right. We had, uh, Vicki had a, a nice uh, hummingbird feeder on the back porch hanging on a hook. And um, beautiful glass thing. We went out there and it was laying in the, in the flower bed, broken. And uh, Colton is out there wandering around with a stick in his hand. I would put two to two together there, wouldn't you? Okay. And uh, Vicky says to Colton, Colton, did you knock, did you knock uh, the, the bird feeder down? And he's like, uh, no, the dog climbed up there and knocked it off. <laughs> you know, which is obviously not true. It doesn't mean they're good at lying, okay? But you don't... <laughs> You don't, have to teach, you don't have to teach them to lie because it's innate and it's part of their nature. And it's a thing that you and I even have to battle against, that type of thing, uh, even now as adults. Paul, in Romans chapter 7, talked about his own struggle with the flesh. So here's Paul the Apostle, uh, writer uh, of much of the New Testament, from the human part of it, uh, wrote in Romans chapter 7. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Paul struggled with something. doesn't go into what it is, but this is an innate thing for human beings. But as believers, I mean, we have to embrace this, this truth. You do not have to be enslaved to the things of the flesh. You don't have to be. You shouldn't be. If you are, then that's an immense problem. See, when you accept Christ as Savior, you take on a new nature. Jesus talked about this. He said very truly in John chapter 3, I tell you that no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Now this is a conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus who is who is a, a renowned spiritual teacher in his own right. And he came and asked Jesus, 
at nighttime in the dark when no one could watch him, you know, how do I, how do I get to heaven? And Jesus answered and said, well, you must be born again. This is a Holy Spirit work. That passage continues. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. It's as if when you're born again, it's as if you're injected with, with a, a new DNA that makes you into a new creature. We're reminded in 2 Corinthians that therefore if, if anyone is Christ, they're a new creation. A new creation. The old's gone, the new is here. So you've got that in you. Our problem as believers is sometimes we don't want to embrace the new and we go back to the old. So Paul's encouraging us, don't do that. Okay? When you come into Christ, you're a new creation. Act like it. And we should be able to do this because the Holy Spirit, which, is, which empowers us for a godly life, dwells in us from the moment we accept Christ as Savior. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? It is written in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Who is in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The word temple is used in that verse. Temple. A temple is a, dw- is a dwelling place of God. This building is not a temple. In fact, I kind of have a problem when churches call themselves a temple. Okay? But that's a side note. But you are the temple. God's presence is here this morning in you. You are the temple if you've accepted Christ as Savior. And you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. That's the person of God that is in our presence. In you. Jesus told His disciples, John chapter 14, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, will teach you all things. And remind you of everything I have said to you. This is His work in you, or part of His work in you. I gave you a big list. This is part of His work in you. To teach you, to work in you, so you can live a life that pleases God. Is that bondage in a different way? You know, this is really about spiritual freedom. Galatians chapter 5. Verse 1, it's written, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. The slavery he's talking about there would be the law. Okay? That was, you know, a big system of rules where we try to justify ourselves by, by forcing our own behavior and saying, look, I've obeyed all these things. You owe me, God. No. Uh, Paul wrote that you are free from this. Jesus himself said, as written in John chapter 8, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Amen? This is God's intention for you as one of his children. The work of salvation has already been done in you. You should not live in doubt, thinking you need to keep trying to justify yourself before God by trying to be good enough for God. That is not 
legitimate. You know, there's a picture up here on the screen, okay? There's a cage with birds flying out of the cage. You know, it's, it's kind of like those birds were captive. That's what you're like when you're lost. And when you're saved, uh, the Holy Spirit injects you with the power to fly and be free. So when the cage is open, we'll fly and be free. How foolish we are to stay in the cage and not fly and be free. I mean, it's the Holy Spirit that empowers our lives. It isn't our own efforts just to be good enough for God. But we still need to live holy lives. How do those things go together? How does this work? How do we do this? Well, the answer to that is we learn to walk in the Spirit. Paul continues in, in Galatians 5, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So really, he's still talking about here the, 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 the fight between the flesh and the spirit. And the idea is to, is to consider carefully, um, is the spirit where they're working in your life? So, the outcome of operating in the flesh spiritually is that you're always going to compare yourself to others around you and you're going to try and be you'll, you'll feel good about yourself if you're better than the person next to you all right and you may feel like well yeah i'm better than him so i'm not going to help right and then that's that's kind of the trap on the other hand uh, you can take the idea that all right so I'm not under the law. Um, since I'm free that way, I can really do whatever I want. I remember, uh, I remember a young person coming up to me once and going, Mr. Fide, isn't it great that I can be saved and I can basically just do whatever I want and, and God's going to forgive me? And <laughs> theologically, that is, that is a correct statement. However, he was looking at his life as now I'm free. I can basically indulge whatever I want in the flesh and, and God's going to forgive me. So is that a true statement? You know, the, the work of the Holy Spirit, the test of your salvation is the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. The work of the Spirit is going to show in your life and it's going to show up and how you operate, and how you treat each other. You know, the flesh tells us all the time to serve ourselves. And the Holy Spirit tells us all the time to serve each other. And this is the battle in the believer, right? The flesh is always there saying, hey, take care of yourself, just take care of yourself, and don't worry about anybody else. But Jesus said the most important command outside of love of the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind is to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's quite a that's quite a standard to hold up there. But the spirit says serve one another. The flesh says 
just serve yourself. So, how do you do this? Well, verse 16 of, of our passage in Galatians 5, it's written, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. There's, there's the instruction. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under uh, the law. So, walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit. Let's just think about that concept for a minute. You know, walking takes some intentionality on your part. And you get better at it through use. So, if you've had a, a, a child and watched that child learn to walk. Now, we've, we've, we are blessed to have lots of little kids in this church. I'm telling you, it's fantastic. And we've seen quite a few of our couples have a new baby in the last year or two. And we've gotten to see those little kids start walking around, which is kind of a mixed blessing because after they learn to walk, they can also reach everything in your house and start pulling it off. To, to sh- Some of you know this now. You're looking at me smiling. Okay? Because they pull things off. But babies, when, you, when they learn to walk, isn't it kind of fascinating to watch them figure things out? You know, they start getting to where they, they kind of get up and they're like, yeah, I can stand up. And they plop down. And then all of a sudden, they make the big move and you're hoping in this area you got your phone on you so you can see them. They get that thing going, they get their hands up here, and they lean a little bit and they can go, right? And all of a sudden they're walking. It's like, man, all right, fantastic. Child can walk, opens up a whole new world. But you don't want the child to keep doing that their whole life, right? That would be awkward. So the child gets better at walking through practice. And it becomes a very natural part of who they are. And when they get to be about Colton's age, my grandson Colton, man, they're running and walking and jumping all over stuff, and they have fantastic coordination because they've gotten good at it. Now, of course, our problem as we get older is, is, is going the opposite direction. Right? So, but you know, walking is, has an, assumes intentionality. And it also... It also assumes a destination. All right? So if you're walking and you're walking in the Spirit, your destination is, is the will of God for your life. That's your destination. All right? It's not glorifying yourself. It's not getting what you want. It's God's will. All right? Now, to walk in the flesh, to walk in the flesh is just the opposite. To walk in the flesh means I walk to glorify myself. And that's the battle we all fight. Okay? Walking, in the, walking in the Spirit takes intentionality. It assumes the destination. It also takes preparation on our part. Now, your preparation is, is a daily Bible study and prayer. And part of your prayer on a daily basis ought to be, Holy Spirit, fill me today okay? and work in my heart and life. That should be part of our daily prayer for ourselves so that we can walk we can walk in the Spirit. Now, I just got to visit uh, with uh, one of my great lifelong friends, Alan Owens, who is, who is uh, Brian's wife, Ani, that's her dad. And Alan is a veteran missionary. 
And he also does, he also does work with troubled youth. He takes troubled youth out uh, on trails, walking them through uh, Colorado or Texas, and they get away from everything. Can't get on the phone because there's no phone service. And uh, helps them survive and then teaches them spiritual lessons. It's really fantastic, a really fantastic ministry. But he's, he's an expert outdoorsman, and he just told me, hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to hike uh, at the end of August. I'm going to go preach at a particular church, and then I'm going to hike the Colorado Trail all by myself. Go look up the Colorado Trail. Okay? It's 500-something miles okay, through, through mountains and desert and, and all kinds of I mean, lovely outdoors. That's quite a walk. He said, ah, I'll be done with it in 21 days is my target. He says, I got some preparation to do. I'm going to park my van at this halfway point so I can get in there, change my clothes, resupply and all that. I think he's nuts, okay? But, you know, you'd be a fool to walk that walk and not prepare yourself with the right shoes and the right clothing and the right gear so you don't die along the way especially since you're by yourself. So walking, if we're going to walk, it takes preparation. If you're going to go for a walk yourself, you're going to go out and walk seriously. It's, it's smart to put on the right shoes, all right, so you don't stumble and fall. It's smart to be, keep yourself in reasonably good condition so you can do it. All right, so preparation is vital. And if you are not walking in the Spirit, this is going to show up in your life. And that's Paul's point, beginning in verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen, if your walk is defined by acts of the flesh, you have reason to question whether or not you know Christ. Now, I'm, that's different than being tempted, okay? You're going to be tempted because you live in bodies of flesh, and that's always a battle. But if your life is defined by acts of the flesh... You really have reason to look at yourself spiritually. See, the Spirit is not ever going to guide you to walk in these things. He's not. And I've, I've heard some incredible statements through my years uh, from people I know are believers who are really fighting this battle and trying to justify some pretty horrible behavior. I mean, literally, one friend of mine said, I feel God is telling me to marry this woman I'm having an affair with instead of staying, my wife, staying with my wife. And we're saying to him as a friend, the Holy Spirit is not leading you in that, pal. Okay? That's a spiritual struggle. All right? Um, if you feel convicted about the things you're doing, that's actually a good sign. That's evidence of the Holy Spirit working in your life, trying to straighten your walk, having you walk the right way. That you should feel good about. Now your responsibility and acts is to listen to him. Okay? 
if you're walking in the Spirit, it's going to show. And it's going to show because your life is going to produce fruit of the Spirit. And that brings us to our primary verse here this morning. Verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. means put it to death in your own life. With its passions and desires, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Now, now look at these things. These should be evidence in your life if you're walking in the Spirit. Love. That's agape love. That's unconditional love for people around you. Joy. The sense that God has control over our lives in spite of the circumstances that we're stuck in. Because you can't control your circumstances, but you can control your reaction to them. Peace. A calmness of body, mind, and spirit created in you by Christ because of your relationship with Him. Forbearance. Your ability to hold back on responses to other people. Like you want to punch him in the face, but you don't. Okay? That's forbearance. Your, your spouse is annoying you, and you want to you smack them, but you resist. That's forbearance. Right? Kindness. Acts that show you want the happiness of other people. Goodness. Intentional virtue. Holiness. Faithfulness. God loves faithfulness. It is required of a steward that they be found faithful. That's what the Word tells us. So, uh, people that know their gifts and show up all the time to make sure the church is functioning, those people are doing a wonderful thing and God is pleased. Listen, God loves faithfulness. Dedication, being dependable, being worthy of trust are all marks of faithfulness. Gentleness. Your ability to give a softened response towards somebody else instead of harshness. And self-control. Your ability to restrain yourself from inappropriate things. That should emerge from your life if you're walking in the Spirit. It's fruit. It's the work of the Spirit that is in you. And all this fruit grows from the same tree. So all those things should be in you and and coming out of you as the Spirit works in your life and you're walking in the Spirit. So as you walk in the Spirit, you should show growth in these areas. And that is what I think is meant by the the words in the Scripture we've just read that says keeping in step with the Spirit. I think that's what that means. Keeping in step means a pattern of growth in our lives. I am surprised at my age. You know, I'm 60 years old. I've been a Christian since I was 19. And I, I look at the last decade of my life, and I can't believe how much spiritual growth I've undergone. I've not arrived. Probably some of you that are old enough to be uh, my parent probably say, you never do. You're still growing. My father, who is 84 years old, is still... I cannot believe the spiritual growth I've seen in his life over the last few years as an 84-year-old man. Uh, It's amazing to watch a mature believer keep growing. 
Now, the problem is that you can resist this. And if you don't keep in step, you know, think of, think of a child that resists you pulling them along with their handheld. Now, my son Brian, who's wonderful, had his moments as a little kid where he did not necessarily want to go where I told him to go. So I got him by the hand. I want to go this way. He wants to go over here where the candy is or some other such thing. So he's resisting, and I have to drag him along. Okay, That's not keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. right? Keeping in step means you are going to work in cooperation with him so he doesn't have to make corrections on you. You're looking to walk in the Spirit. It's intentionality on your part. And not only that, the Christian life should be one of continual growth. You know, in Philippians, I love this verse. I think about it when I think about my own life and if I'm going through some struggle, that he who began a work in you is going to be faithful to continue it, to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Holy Spirit's going to keep working on you. Don't get in the way. That tree fruit of the Spirit, should continue to grow as the Spirit works on us, and more fruit should be produced as the tree matures and strengthens. That should be what's normal for us as believers. So, maybe that brings us to the question, you know, what if I'm not growing spiritually and producing spiritual fruit? Now, you know the whole point of giving a sermon on Sunday morning that makes it different than um, just teaching a lesson or having a conversation is, you know, a, a preacher wants to drive people towards making a decision. I mean, that's the, that's the objective. So self-examination is good here. What if I'm not growing spiritually and producing spiritual fruit? You know, if you're not walking in the Spirit, there's a conflict with the flesh. Right? So, if you're not showing the fruit of the Spirit, there's a conflict there. And you've got to think, again I say, if you feel convicted about doing something wrong, that's good. Stop getting in the way of the Holy Spirit working in your life. You know, sometimes we've got to make these decisions. And, you know, i got a picture up there of a guy pruning an apple tree. The apple tree, uh, I, I kind of learned this by watching the rousters on their orchard I mentioned earlier through the years. Those guys were always out there working on those trees, cutting out diseased limbs. And if the, free, if the tree was not growing fruit, they cut it down. So the process can be painful, according to how we're reacting to it. But we want the spiritual growth, right? So some of us will come in here, will come in here to worship, and maybe we're not doing some horrible thing, like some of the, like Paul said, the, the work of the flesh is obvious, right? Some of it there, and it talked about some pretty horrible things. Maybe you're not doing some debaucherous behavior. Maybe you're not coming into church nursing a hangover. Maybe you haven't stolen something from your neighbor. Okay? Obvious uh, uh, acts of the flesh. But, you know, maybe you got a problem uh, in church because, uh, you know, you're spreading gossip about somebody and tearing them down. 
Maybe you're somebody that loves, maybe you're someone that loves dissension. You know, that wasn't the list of things of the flesh. Maybe you love that, you love stirring it up. These are all things that are battles in the flesh in us and are not, they are not proof of the Holy Spirit's work in our life. You know, if you've got horrible problems with anger or jealousy, you know, these are things, maybe you make, we make excuses for ourselves, that's just who I am. Well, that's not the Holy Spirit at work in your life. So, if we want to grow, we want to keep in step with the Spirit. And of course then, you know, the second thing is that, you know, maybe uh, you don't know Christ. So, we have to examine ourselves and say, hey, is there evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in our life? If there is, we're going to show fruit. And if there's not, we're not going to show fruit. 